Hello, and welcome to Magical Girls Gone Canon, <laughs> Episode 1, Sailor Moon Crystal, Season 1. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana, but that's my secret identity. Don't tell. Ah, <laughs> Welcome to our inaugural episode of Sailor Moon Crystal. We are going to be covering Sailor Moon Crystal monthly, one season at a time, leading up to Cosmos. And we're very excited for Sailor Moon Cosmos, if you're tuning in for the very first time. We also cover A Song of Ice and Fire, point of view character by point of view character, Game of Thrones, some of the, the episodes that last, uh, that last dastardly season, House of the Dragon, and His Dark Materials, both the inner trilogy, the outer trilogy, and the show. Yeah, and then we also had a very brief stint of Gossip Girls Gone Canon. We could always come back to it. And if you are a fan of Greek and Roman mythology, or maybe your love for it was sparked by Sailor Moon as well, on our Patreon, we have bonus episodes for subscribers in the $5 and up tier, where we cover... Madeline Miller's books about Patroclus and Achilles, called Song of Achilles, as well as Circe. So if you have any crossover interest there, check those out. Yeah, our Patreon has a bunch of bonus episodes because patrons in the $5 and up tier get bonus episodes every month. Sometimes it is an A Song of Ice and Fire episode to go along with something we're talking about, or sometimes it's just an episode on a media that we really like, or a piece of movie, book, film, etc., whatever, all that good stuff. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. This month we have put out for our patrons Meat House Man by George R.R. R. Martin, a uh, kind, of, kind of wild and gnarly little novella, so definitely check it out. So as we jump into our first episode, we will be trying to keep this mostly spoiler-free for Sailor Moon Crystal. It's uh, not exactly a series that is crazy big on foreshadowing, which is going to be interesting for us because a lot of the series that we love have a lot of those great little puzzles to figure out going on. Uh, Sailor Moon tends to put a lot of its stuff up front in this first season, which we'll talk about so we will chat a little bit about some of the 90s anime as well as the manga and make some references to some of the other parts of the series, but we will try to keep it within the scope of series one of Crystal. And speaking of spoilers, I do want to warn that if you watched Sailor Moon Crystal on Netflix and you only watched what was available in the first season, like that Netflix said was the first season... Netflix only has the first 13 episodes as comprising the first season, and when Sailor Moon Crystal originally aired, the first season f like flowed into the second one. But please go watch then the first episode of the second season. The, the title of that episode is Act 14, Conclusion and Commencement, Petite Étrangère, and... On Hulu, this is correct. I assume I this is also on Crunchyroll. I don't remember, but I haven't checked on there. I assume it is also correct there. This is only a Netflix-specific issue. Go watch that episode. Come back here in 30 minutes because that's literally the conclusion of this arc. Like, literally the finale. That is the finale, and I don't know why it's cut off like that. Please, Netflix, my children are dying. Yeah. So go take a half hour and catch up if 
you did not watch that episode, Act 14, Conclusion and Commencement, Petite Etrangère. Yeah, because I'm going to spoil the hell out of it, so you better run. You better run. It's literally the end of the season. And it's a perfect ending. Please, Netflix, please. Next month, we will be back. These episodes will be releasing on the final Friday of each month. And we will be joined with a very special guest, another magical girl, if you will. I'm I've been really excited to have this guest on, and we've been kind of waiting for the right moment to have them on. Yes. It's Chica from Shoujo Sunday. Amazing. Amazing. Specifically, she was excited to come on for season two. So I'm I'm excited to hear kind of her relationship with Sailor Moon. You know, I think you and I will talk about ours, but I'm excited to hear her relationship and how she came to Sailor Moon and what it means for her life. I'm also excited because I remember talking with Chica and the, like on on Twitter, and we were talking about some of one of my favorite shoujo manga authors is Tanemura Arena, and like she has a lot of expertise on that. And in general, I think Chica is she's got a podcast about shoujo manga and like is just an expert on the genre in general, and will be able to talk a lot about like where Sailor Moon fits into all of that and I think that the the second arc you know like the first arc really sets things up the second arc is where we start like really digging into into some of the stuff in Sailor Moon yeah the first arc is a great introductory arc and again it puts everything on the table right like you don't have any questions about who Sailor Moon is and who the senshi are the inner senshi at least for now it does end with one surprise right it ends with one big surprise that makes you go what Mm -hmm. but i'm excited for the second arc because things start to really heat up and we get some new characters and some great new villains yeah we do we really do and we promised we would keep it spoiler free so that's it that's it that's all you get (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the structure just in case you know this is your first time really coming into this series yeah we're starting with in total there are three major arcs that are going to be covered by crystal the first is the dark kingdom second is black moon and third is death busters the arcs are split into about 13 to 14 episodes each right which makes it three acts like a play So that's really something fun, especially with some of the themes of tragedy that we get in season one. The fourth season is two movies, Sailor Moon Eternal Part 1 and 2, the Dead Moon Circus arc, and the fifth season is the same. It's Sailor Moon Cosmos Shadow Galactica arc, and that's coming. There's a beautiful new trailer that was just released. You have to check it out. Yeah, the animation looks so different from like the style here in the first season of Sailor Moon Crystal. And also, I know that we said no spoilers, we gave you the names of each arc. I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that there are arcs, and also these names don't really tell you anything, in my opinion. So, the fifth season will also be movies, so they transitioned to that format after a while. There were like years in between some of these seasons, so very interesting. You can see that. The production value has totally changed. From season yeah. one to season three. Season three has a lot smoother transitions, a little bit a little bit less stock photo. We'll come back to that. But it's a little bit more polished than season one. And I feel like the trailer for Cosmos is already sharp, very refined. I agree. And I mean, they kind of have to because I think this is what we're basically on like what the 31 year or something anniversary or so. Yes. Of it, of uh the the anime 32nd anniversary or so of the manga we had the 30 year like a few years ago and i think that's maybe when eternal came out and 
I, I also, you know, I'm always like a little afraid, you know, I'm always trying to guard my heart with things. I've learned the hard way and I'm like, is it, is it going to be amazing? Or did they just give like the best shots in the trailer? You know, it has been mired with a lot of production issues, I think, like in terms of budget and trying to get things out and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, for the most part, it's still a great adaptation of the story that we love. And we're going to talk all about the Dark Kingdom arc today, the inner senshi, and some of kind of the main characteristics for them and themes in their own stories, as well as in the overarching story. And before we jump into that, we do want to give you a little look into some of the other media of Sailor Moon, right? Because to put it into perspective with Sailor Moon Crystal, the first season of the original anime is 46 episodes with a filler arc with the Demon Tree, 13 episodes before getting That's into after. Yeah, yeah, before getting into Sailor Moon R. And then if you put together the first two arcs of the story, so Dark Kingdom and Black Moon, there were actually 80 episodes total for the first two seasons. And then I mean, they busted it down to 27 episodes to cover these two seasons for Crystal. It's it's incredibly done. It is probably the best pacing. I I actually think that they should have stretched out some of the pacing. Like, and part of it is they removed right the whole like demon tree arc that was only only for the original anime that was created because, as you might remember, every now and then, especially with anime and manga, they're coming out simultaneously. Maybe if you are a fan of a song of ice and fire, you remember this happening. But it goes better. <laughs> it goes better like with anime for some reason. And that that arc, a lot of times anime will have that in order to give the manga time to catch up before they start doing that story. Though granted, there was a lot of other filler as well. I mean, I think the, the format of anime and how they came out back then with that um, style is, it was very different. Um, but the quality of the animation... For especially like for the time, the technology they had, and like the speed at which they're putting these out, honestly, very impressive. Yeah, I would wake up at 5 a.m. before school. I would get up early when yeah. I heard my dad get up for work, and my dad would wake up and take a shower and get ready in the mornings and go have a cereal. So I would hear him get up for work, and I would get up and I would run upstairs and I would alternate between VH1 music videos, MTV music videos, and Sailor Moon coming on. And then when Sailor Moon came on, I would only watch that until commercial. But, and I would be very finicky switching back and forth. And he would try to come upstairs and take the remote and watch sports and I would have none of it. Like that was, that was my Sailor Moon time. No, uh-uh. Yeah. And we only had the dub. Like this was like, this was a difficult time. All right. If you were a fan of anime. And we didn't know anything. We didn't know any better because also we were literal children, <laughs> uh, like very, very small children. And mm -hmm. I didn't watch the early anime, the early morning ones. I would watch the ones after school on Toonami. And then interestingly, they would also show them on WB on Saturday yep, mornings. Saturday like, mornings. Like at, the, at five in the morning. I would also and, get up on Saturdays. Yes. Because those were ahead. Those were like... The so the Toonami ones were like uh like kind of behind. They were going in order, but like those were like airing episodes. I don't know. I guess they started airing them like much earlier on. So they were further along in the story mm -hmm. in on the WB. And so there's a little confusion, but I knew it was going on because I at that time had also found the books. <laughs> <laughs> What's so crazy you know me. for me is, you know, my mom loves soap operas, so 
telenovelas and soap operas. I did not know that, actually, about your mother. Mm. My mom is a Days of Our Life hound. She follows it still, to my knowledge. I think she might have skipped a few arcs, like, when I was a late teen in my 20s, but I think she came back Hmm. to it. But so it's similar. Days of Our Lives, for example, is similar because you'd have it doing replays, but then you'd have it also doing stuff in the future. And then you'd also be able to tune out and come back. And I kind of loved that about the original anime for Sailor Moon, that you could have those moments of watching concurrently, watching the episodes that are like right now coming out and catching reruns. And it was kind of like a a scavenger hunt back in the day when you had, you know, to look at TV Guide and find out what was on when, and go through the scrolling for a while, and then once you found out, then you would make sure you knew when you had to be at the TV. So, a different time. It was fucking hard, dude. (laughs) Yeah. And you didn't even get trophies or achievements for doing this. I just want everyone at home to know that. And I didn't, like, have until later on, like, two years after. So, a friend got me into Sailor Moon, like, in, what, third grade? So, I was eight. And she's the only other person I really talked about it with, and they didn't have, like, people to talk about with till like, I don't know, I was, like, 11 or 12, because she switched schools and left. I feel this. I was probably seven or eight-ish, so a bajillion years after you, just saying. Yeah. Um, I got other people. I, I got some other people, like, into it, but, you know, uh, you and I get into things, I think, a little differently than other people. Yes. Yes. The manga was originally published in... Nakayoshi, one of those like magazines, they a lot of magazines fan will like publish ma- different kinds of manga, etc. And was a pioneer in what's called the maho shoujo genre, the magical girl genre. And part of it, what made it so interesting at the time that it came out was that it pulls a lot of inspiration from like the sentai genre, which um, involves usually like soldiers and squads, and it weaving in these like shonen genre elements into the action a lot of people argue sailor moon wasn't like the first to do this but i think it is one of the most notable yes. to to weave those genres together and takeuchi naoko takeuchi the the manga i'm about to get full weeb here the mangaka uh <laughs> the manga artist who created sailor moon had a lot of different iterations of designing the senshi's outfits some of them initially like they were like much more stylized and individualized in those sketches with like crop tops for some of them and like i don't know if she decided that was just way too much work and thinking to do every single time which is fair you know you got to crank that shit out get your money and also took a lot of inspiration from wonder woman which you can really see in sailor moon's outfits and color schemes such as for example elements like the tiara and the boots and not just that, but also in the actual actions of Sailor Moon, right? Fighting for justice, fighting yes. against inequality. I really like that. That's fun with the red, white, and blue there. I did not read the manga at home. However, I read it, and this is a weird one, but at my dentist's office. It oh, was that's in, interesting. Yeah, they had a pretty prominent Japanese demographic visiting them just from the area it was in. It was just in an area that had a high population in that city. So they had lots of different manga, lots of different Japanese like magazines and different things you could read, little snippets in. So I was in hog heaven. I was so fucking happy. I was reading Sailor Moon constantly at the dentist. I would, My mom would get me there and I would dive straight in and that was where I would read the manga. But I didn't really get into the manga otherwise, so your knowledge there is going to really guide us 
from what little I remember. I remember a little, but not a lot. I read a lot of it, and this is why Barnes & Noble went out of business uh, in a lot of its brick and mortars and borders. You? Both of those. Uh, me, people like me, <laughs> but I definitely added to the problem. My father would take me to Borders and Barnes and & Noble, which are not libraries, and we would sit there for hours as if it were a library and then just read things like that. Yeah, I would do that too. I love that for yeah. us. And that's how that's how I consumed a lot of it. I got to buy a couple of it every now and then when my parents would relent, but not a lot. Yep, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Uh, now, of course, when we get into kind of the structure of the plot and comparing the anime, for example, uh, it became kind of formulaic, right? You had the villain of the week. The girls would fight the villain of the week. They would not be strong enough to fight the villain of the week and the conflict going on. They would go back, they would figure out what they're missing to defeat this villain, and then they would defeat the villain, right? Someone throws a tear, uh -huh. congratulations. The only changes really are the end of the seasons with really big arcs, and I like that Crystal does cut a lot of that out. Some of the villains I actually am missing, though, I must say. I do think that we'll get into it when we get to our nights later, but you're missing a little bit of time to establish some of these characters and some of the inner senshi. Cutting them, though, did help it flow, right? It helps you flow through the story. It's a shortcoming of the initial anime as well as this iteration. And although there aren't as many characters who don't get fleshed out, it just comes from like cutting through 80 episodes with a knife for two seasons, right? meandering kind of through that villain of the week syndrome it means you lose time to character some of those to characterize some of those outer characters the other shortcoming i will say is that especially in season one and i do think it improves there is a lot of intercutting that gets very awkward between 2d animation and 3d animation whether this is some of the cutting corners for money there are moments where the entire 2D backgrounds have faceless characters across them in almost every episode, and it just becomes a little uncanny valley. <laughs> Creepy faceless dolls with no features, right? And that and some of the attack animations and some of the stock that is used is gets a little repetitive. But again, that comes back to, I get it, you can't animate every single thing and pump these out and make money on your budget, I guess. But, like, you could, especially yeah. if you put in enough money and time, considering it was a couple of years before Five this years. first season came out. And then, like, this is a this is a franchise that has money behind it, you know? Yeah. Like, or it could or should. Like, I think we've just established the reputation of this, right? This is a, this is a franchise with money. And, and we haven't even delved into further. <laughs> like, when we say it's a franchise with money... This is like a franchise that knew it was going to branch out. It knew exactly where it needed to take Sailor Moon. It needed to take Sailor Moon everywhere, not just on TV, not just in book. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking about Crystal right now, but yeah, in terms of like the... the. But that's what I mean. Like they knew exactly what their plans were and they knew that in order still to be successful on top of this part of their yeah. empire. Yeah. And maybe this was like the part that they didn't, they put the least thought behind. I don't know. The strength of doing this is you capture a new generation, right? Of fans. That is the hope. A new generation of little girls like us mm -hmm. to, to get into this. But I don't know. Maybe they decided not to. And for me, it's not even like the stock images. If it weren't for the fact that like the stock images were also 
what's called off model. And by that, I mean, like, sometimes the, the eyes were not looking in the same direction. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in a sec. Uh, but as you said, this is like, this is a series that has spun off into so many other media after the original anime and in between a lot of those years, or maybe it was concurrent. I don't remember the exact years, but there are musicals. There are multiple musicals of Sailor Moon. There are other like spin-off movies and short stuff, but there are musicals. And then they also even made a live action series at some point, which is called Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. And I actually really love it a lot. It's got its own spin on the storyline. It takes elements of the story from the manga and like the the anime, but it's its very own storyline and really like puts in its own twists and turns and I highly recommend it. It only really covers this first arc, it does not expand beyond that, but the character's hair changes like color from their, you know, civilian form to their senshi form and it was, it's not as easy to find. Also, I watched all of it in high school in 10-minute segments via YouTube back when they had, like, that 10-minute cap. And yep. also, this was clearly, I, hopefully this doesn't get taken down because I'm telling everyone it's on there. But, like, I think it's still on there and it was on there when I watched it and maybe it wasn't supposed to be on there because of copyright stuff. I'm sorry if I just, like, ruined this for fucking everyone. But, anyway. But don't go looking for it. Don't go. It maybe it's probably not on there. I'm covering their ass, but it. I don't know. It's really. It's actually super good. I highly recommend it. The drama is really good in it, and the storyline, pretty solid from what I remember. But that was also a long time ago. Yes, I watched. I was it impressed. The exact same way that you did. I just have <laughs> it to was hard. The exact life was hard then, and so hard. Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon was in the aughts, right? It came out early aughts, about two thousand three yeah. or four, I want to say, and then. The musical actually happened literally immediately. It was 1993, so a year after the series oh, aired. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's insane. They were like, put it on Broadway. Let's go. <laughs> and Not you know Broadway. what? I hear it holds up. People seem to really like it. There are a lot of people who have knowledge of what happened. I haven't seen them yet. The costumes look very fun, though. The costumes are one of the most fun parts of the live action stuff for me. I love that. And yeah. I, I haven't watched the musical, however, I'm sure it's a blast. And what's nice about this story is, and especially the way that Crystal has like honored it in a way and reduced it a little bit and made it just a really, you know, a, a thicker upfront story so you capture the real themes, is this is a story that you can tell in all of these ways. It's something you can retell, you can change certain parts that don't hold much significance, right? Like the civilian outfit and hair turned into the magical hair from Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. That works. It's a way that it works, right? Like, they found a way to translate it to this iteration of media. So I love that about the story. It, it's a classic tale. I really do think it's a classic. It's withstood the test of time. Like, I think, I, I thought it had maybe disappeared there for a second, but it didn't. It's only, I think, now become, like I said, like a cultural staple. Maybe not as much as po Pokemon, of course, but like still, I think, to the same amount of household recognition, probably. I absolutely agree. It stood the test of time and it's come back. I'm glad. You know, I'm thriving. I never expected it, like, to that point. When I saw that Crystal was coming up and when I saw they were doing movies, I was like, what? Really? For me? You're doing this for me? Wow. And no, I No, they will... did it for themselves and their money, but that's okay. I'm going to continue saying it was for me. 
So. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ColourPop, right? Put out put out the a collection, as you know, but um that's yes. that's the extent to like how ubiquitous, I would say. It has makeup Maybe people lines. don't need us to explain it. Maybe uh, don't need me to explain that. But I mean, yeah. go on eBay and type Sailor Moon 90s toy and just see mm. what pops up. Do that. That that will explain it better than we could. You know, I mean, yeah. the amount of toys and branding. Oh, my God. The stuff that we never got that never came to the States, too. Let me just tell you, I would look through these magazines at my dentist, you guys, and I would just just look at everything and be like, wow, I wish I could have this, but I have no clue how to read Japanese or how to look this up because I'm seven. <laughs> Every now and then, like a random store that I did not expect, like in some random ass place had something. I had all the wands. Like, I had no. tons of them. Oh, you did? I had... <sighs> I, me and Dylan, my best friend Dylan, actually saved up and shared one at one point, but glossing over that. I had the crystal, I think, unless I imagined this and dreamed it, but transformation brooch from the 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 second arc. Oh, I love that. I had her crescent wand. I had... What is the other one? I, I had another one that spoils a, a season, so we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. I think I had one doll, maybe two, but I wish I could find those. The hair was terribly done, but they're very expensive perhaps because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a couple of the dolls, yes. Definitely some dolls. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, now that everyone's gone down this like half hour memory lane with us where we talk about how hard it was to be a weeb. Our third life uh, crisis. A baby weeb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the individual arcs of the characters. You know, I thought it was really great how this season is set up that we get an introduction to each of the main cast members, right? Each episode leading up to Tuxedo Mask is basically an introduction to each of them, what their hearts, their desires are, what their goals are, what their personality is, and how they interact when they meet Usagi. And I just think it's a great way to structure a season. It's actually a little bit like what we do for our Song of Ice and Fire series, where we only read one POV at a time. So let's go through this one POV at a time and start with Sailor Moon herself. We'll start with her name. Tsukino Usagi, right? A lot of the Senshi's names have like aspects of their element and, and powers woven in. For example, Tsuki means moon. And then Usagi is Bunny because she's named for a legend, not within the story, but like this is this is the stuff that Takeuchi is pulling from. She's named for a legend about there's a bunny that lives on the moon. So that's why her name is that. Oh, it's so cute because it's sad because <laughs> it's a story about loneliness too, little bun, little bun oh, bun. That's right. Yeah. yeah and he's all then alone. she has buns. Yeah. And that's why she's bunhead. Yeah, she's yeah, she's got buns and then her hair is split too, kind of like looking like a little bunny and that's why her her bed sheets all got bunnies on them and shit like that. I like when the there's bunnies and lunas. That's my favorite little design pattern yes. that she does. I love that. Yes, so she's the rabbit on the moon. She's actually got a couple of attacks. We're going to just quickly go through some of them. For example, supersonic waves, which does not come back often in the series, which is a bummer. It's very fun. Sometimes she's warned to not use them actually. You got Moon Tiara Action, which is the Moon Boomerang, which was called Moon Tiara Magic in the Dick translation of the dub. Mm -hmm. You got Moon Twilight Flash. You got Sailor Moon Kick. Sailor Venus, all those, aka Sailor V, also has her own like kick. Then you have Moon Healing Escalation. That's that, 
That's the big one. This season. That's the big one, you know? Moon healing escalation. You hear that and you know shit's going down. I like the way that they shot escalation. Escalation! It really (sighs) escalates the way that they say it. Because, I mean, all I know is I was eight years old shouting my own attacks, thinking that I was a Sailor Scout, you know? Yeah. Did you do the... I would also do the, you know, you draw the, the circle... Right. Yep. Um, yep. To to really do it, the the animation doesn't do the cool circle thing in this one, but uh, it was fun. I would make such a cool Sailor Moon <sighs> VR game. Oh wow! They wow. Ha- oh they also have they do have a video game. Yes. Never played it. I have not played it. Mm-mm. I love Usagi because when you meet Usagi in the '90s anime. She's presented as a crybaby, spoiled whiner who, you know, eats a lot all the time and sleeps a lot. Okay, listen, wait a second. And just gets upset over little things and over emotional. And I actually really found a good balance in this version of her. It was a lot more balanced, right? Because, like, it's okay to be a crybaby. First of all, I'm a crybaby, but, like, it's okay. People can be that way. But she has other personality traits, right? And She really depicts a lot of that femininity is weakness, right? Like, that gets dispelled by her. Weakness is weakness is also dispelled by her, right? Like, she chooses to be brave and turn her weakness into bravery in this series over and over again in Crystal. And I found that to be really present in this version. I I didn't find her to be overbearingly whiny. And to be fair, like you said, we grew up with a dub. We didn't really have a choice, I guess, in some aspects. But I found a good balance in her this time. I love that, as you said, her emotions and being a crybaby is something that's a strength for her. Like, that's why it is one of the first powers that we see of her, right? It's something that, like, she's able to send out supersonic waves when she cries. So I think that's that's awesome. And in in the manga, and she's always teased for being kind of a crybaby by her friends. But it's something that is strong and that they love about her, that she she's so caring. You know, I I love the moment where they're like, yeah, Usagi's like the first friend that I've ever had or like that whoever actually like saw me. And I think that's something that's so beautiful about Sailor Moon's character. And she's just so generous, too. That's something that we always see about her, even though, you know, she's characterized as like a little spoiled. I like that her parents are kind of like, my my little girl's growing up throughout this, which is also like in the manga. I think that for me, and this is my critiques of more of the directing and the adaptation, they kind of, they captured the right beats and technically like she does cry and stuff a lot in the manga, but like the way that you go between panels makes it work. I think a little smoother there because you don't have to fill in that space. Obviously you do in an anime, you have to fill in that sense of time, but I do, I do think that some of the ways that they directed it with the script had her crying a little too much in a way that's made her seem like too distressed in a way that she wasn't in the manga or like emphasized that helplessness too much whereas sometimes when I I feel like she would cry because she's like overwhelmed by emotion not because it paralyzed her Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah it was a little lighter I feel like and a little more for comedic relief And I also feel like because we have the episodes cut into like a quarter of them, right? I think it's a little more noticeable when she does. I would actually even say I kind of noticed this time that not just her, but all of the scouts in the final three episodes, especially there there was a lot of wailing against things. And certain times I was like, yes, sure, your, your bodies are being broken. I would be crying. But then there were certain times where it seemed out of character for all of them. 
that's where it stood out to me the most. Yep. Because they do it, they do have her cry, but they do it seriously. I think also in the original anime and in the manga. And it's it's delivered seriously here too. But as you said, like that's where it was like too much. In the other episodes, I thought it was like fine. But that's where it felt, as you said, out of character. And it felt... <sighs> I don't know. It felt like, I'm, am I being mocked as a woman, <laughs> as a girl, yeah. or something for emotions with the way that it was directed in those last three episodes, which... I'm um, so they, glad they... you just said that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I just, I'm just putting it's my real feelings out there. It was straight up like they're girls, so they cry because they're getting beat in a mean battle. That's, that's yeah. what it read like to me. And I, I was kind of turned off. And the way they inserted the scene, we'll come back to it with the four kings of heaven. We'll, we'll come back to that and my thoughts on that. I think that there are some things that work about it, some things that don't, because you know me and Chloe, we love things, and because we love things, we are critical to an extent, and we'll talk about the things that we like, and <laughs> yeah, I think that that's where it stood out, but yeah, it's cut short because they, they basically adapted one chapter slash issue of the manga per episode, so I think there's like 14 chapters in the this arc of the manga, so then 14 episodes, but anyway... I want to bring up my favorite magical tool. I have to say it. Ooh, okay, this is, okay. And this is one that I feel like got thrown out after season one of the anime and was never touched again, barely. And it was the coolest tool. And every girl growing up probably, and boy, probably sat there thinking this, but the pen, the magic fucking pen that allows you to change your outfit into whatever. I believe there's that original detective arc where she has it right in the first season of the original anime where she's like goes on a detective thing we get to see her use it as the princess thing this time which is fun i love dress up that's great i love being a princess too usagi even though it looks exactly like you in your (laughs) meatball head with your fucking rabbit tails the flight attendant outfit that was different yeah that was giving britney and toxic wasn't it i love it oh my god you're right yeah Uh, two queens two 90s aughts queens yeah, I love that pen, and I feel like it doesn't come back ever in the OG, and it made me so mad because it's my favorite thing, and I just want a pen where I can just tell it what I want to dress up as, and it does it. It's amazing. I agree. I wish that that had been kept. A lot of things, like, just disappear later on. I feel like that's not a spoiler, yeah. but I agree. Off the record? On the record? I don't know. I've been like, should I get a tattoo of the pen? Uh, <gasps> that would be so cool. You should. Should we you get should. matching tattoos? You want to get um, Sailor Moon tattoos? I'm in. We could. I'm in. We could. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's like one of the best tools that does not get enough love and attention. It's like, and it's her own pen, right? The other one, the other, the other son, she have their pens. But that one. Yeah, I, I, well, and I just think it's cool that she can, you know, do her whole shebang. I just think it's cool. I don't know. I agree. It's fun. I like a good gag. Exactly. It's a gag, but it's also, it was useful. It was useful. Yeah. Theoretically, even though the flight attendant, she just hopped on the back of the bus. Whatever. (laughs) Fun. Usagi, we love her because, you know, she's, she, she's got a good heart, does not always have brains, but that's also why all (laughs) her friends love her too. She's got emotional intelligence and no, she has emotional intelligence and that's a real intelligence and that matters. She has the power to look at people and perceive them and understand, like, what they're going through or how to listen to them or how to be there for them. And I think that's so special. That bitch is so special. I love her. She is. She is. I mean, she's Sailor fucking Moon. She is. And she's also, another thing that's special about her, but not the reason we love her, 
is that she is Princess Serenity. I think that despite Usagi being Serenity this time, they are a little bit different. Usagi is a little more resilient. And I think like towards the end, like act what? 13 or so was mm -hmm. and maybe i also had 14 i don't know because i remember both of those like panels because i i did a quick reread um those were like the only issues i had of like originally when they came to the u.s mm -hmm. the little mix yep. the two x's publisher i also had like all the super s books later on but anyways i remember rereading this like a lot and being like what the fuck when Usab usagi stabs herself again and i was like and that's how it opens i'm like what is going on here Right, because that wasn't in the OG anime either. And I was yeah. like, what is happening? I also reread that thing a million times on the toilet and the Super S arc a million times on the toilet. Those are falling apart. The glue is not strong in these. <laughs> Probably from the moist environment. Okay, but they also were cheaply made. Um. Tokyo Pop and Mix and Smile did not invest like that much into to their production on the US side, okay? Yeah, we'll come back to a lot more of the censorship in Sailor Moon because especially in the States, the censorship of Sailor Moon was something really interesting to behold and the story that was actually beneath it all, right? The, yeah. the, the sacrifice. Uh, the sacrifice is very different in the OG anime. It is not with a sword through the gut. No seppuku. And I love it. I mean, I love watching Sailor Moon stab herself. No, I hate it. It is so awful. Like It devastates me every time. I'm like, no, don't kill your lover and yourself. And I love the reframing of them as star-crossed lovers. Even in the dub for Crystal, for the American dub, they do something interesting where the way that it's worded is a little bit different from the subs and from the Japanese version. And she talks about them being star-crossed lovers, always meant to find each other once again. And it's just slightly different. And I do wonder if some of that is also in translation to the U.S. and to English-speaking people in general, because it's also how do you fathom this great sacrifice that she is once, well, once again, doing, right? That she is killing him, killing herself to once more reincarnate and start again and to save him from the demon, the demon he's being possessed by. I also love, though, that if sh this is like very Romeo and Juliet themed, right? Very tragic lovers, star-crossed lovers, she's Romeo. He is not Romeo in this situation. No. She makes the final curtain call for them, and he's Juliet and she's Romeo, and I think that is so badass. That is so slick, you know? It's just a slick way to do it. She has to be, I mean, it's her story. She's the hero, even though it wasn't always her story, because once upon a time, it was Sailor V's story for like three months before it was Sailor Moon's story. Yeah. She's like, hmm, I'm, I have more ideas now, but <laughs> yeah, even though I guess in some ways tuxedo mask tuxedo common like rescues her really she actually rescues him most of the time yeah it's her power he just jumps exactly. around in a suit he just like gives her you know moral support sometimes but pisses her off enough until she can do her powers yeah and <laughs> i that's love i just love that as you said there's that romeo and juliet aspect which also plays into their ages mm -hmm. she's like what about 13 or so and he's probably about 15 which is the ages that Romeo and Juliet were yes. in in the play. <laughs> it's much more like, I guess, tragic. They yeah, they just did not have her stabbing herself in the original anime whatsoever. Yeah. I think they're just like, we don't the kids don't need to see that. There was death. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah, deeply confused as a child when I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and 
you know, interestingly, the live action series really plays that up. I don't know if you remember, like, they have Princess Serenity having a different personality. You know, I would say even even though, like, they're the same incarnations, I would say maybe think, like, Kagome and Kikyo from Inuyasha, technically mm. same person, but different personalities. And, like, in the live action, Serenity could sort of possess Usagi's body and, like, had the sword and was, like, really brutal about it, if I'm remembering correctly. This was also, I did not rewatch that yet. Again, adding, like, extra layers, though, that's so great to be able to pull those extra layers around something that you can deliver one way or another, whether you're delivering it simply in the anime or in a little more detail in the manga or tonally live. That's cool to be able to change those kind of things. That's yeah. so cool. That's so I sick. I like the princess switch and that she was, like, so excited. She didn't even, like, yeah, she wanted to be a princess, but she, like, did never begrudged anyone else when they were like, this other person's a princess. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy for you, babe. She's like, I'm going to support you, protect you, everything. And when it turns out she was the princess, she's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, huh? I think that's such an Im- that's such an important part of the plot, too, right? That she never craved it or wanted to covet that role. She never went out of her way like, I'm the princess, and didn't believe herself to be the princess, but she believed in the cause and in fighting for justice with these girls. So I think that's really something special. Like, it leadership came back to her because she proved herself a good leader of wanting to work towards the cause and manage it with them. As a royal, you know, she has responsibility. Yeah. And... And that's to protect the planet, protect the people she loves. And to fight and for justice. Pretty much. And I love that she's always like telling people, I hate that you made these pretty girls cry. Or like, I hate that you ruined these clothes. How dare you use people in love? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just love that. And she's like, how, how could you sully their dreams? And yeah, we talked about this a little earlier through this panel into the doc, just because I love it, of like... She's like, I'm Usagi no. I'm 14 years old. Oh, sorry. She's 14. Um, and in my second year of middle school, because middle school is structured differently in other countries, uh, my hobbies are eating, sleeping, and slacking off. I'm kind of a crybaby, but otherwise I'm just a normal, lovable young lady. But I just love that her hobbies are eating, sleeping, and slacking off. I'm like, those are my hobbies too, girl. Same. Big same. <laughs> Big relatable same. I mean, that's the thing. That's why she was not just popular in Japan. She became every American girl too. That's awesome. Yeah, us. she was always late to class, and I was eating, also always late to class. Crying and eating. I love that. I had for a teacher her. who wrote in my yearbook, try to make sure you show up to your classes on time <laughs> when I was graduating. And I was like, oh, <laughs> make sure you Damn. wake up for your classes. And I was like, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone who would always wake up for their classes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Sailor Mercury, because she would never do that. She would never slack off. She is, in fact, I love Sailor Mercury is like a direct opposite to a lot of Usagi's traits, right? She is very, very different, quiet, studious, analytical, not over-emotional, right? Weighs things. She's sensitive, but she's not over-emotional. Yeah. Less exuberant than Usagi all around. Yeah, she's like got this really quiet, calm demeanor and it extends to everyone else too. A watery aura. Um, yeah, calming. And so Mizuno Ami, her name is like, I forgot Ami, it's probably like, it's the center and beautiful together. And then Mizuno is like of water. Mizu means water in Japanese. And 
you have I think a couple of the senshi also have like the kanji mm-hmm. of like their planet as part of the name because there are multiple alphabet or writing systems in Japan and so there's kind of like a pun and they're playing on that also with the way that some of these names are written. I love that. I love that little bit of linguistics. I have a lot of trivia for all of you. Um <laughs> Bill, we'll do zodiac zodiac signs like next time or something. Yeah, we'll like, talk about the zodiacs for sure next time. We're given that. Her dream is to be a doctor. Her mom is also a doctor. They're fucking loaded and she studies hard. Yeah. She's got to be a doctor. There's a lot of pressure on her. You can see that, right? Yeah. She feels a lot of pressure to succeed and to live up to her own standards as well as her mother's. And a little bit of loneliness there. You can see she was probably a lonely kid. Yeah, you know? she was. She was a yeah. lonely like teenager too, even not kid. For she's a while still there a lonely too, until kid. Until Usagi showed yeah. up. And then she's like, wow, I have all these friends now. She has Beautiful. two really exciting attacks this season. Aqua Mist and Bubble Spray or Bubble Blast. I love, I think her attacks are just so beautiful. They're just pretty. The animation is so different than even Mars, Venus, Jupiter, and Moon. It's the only blue, all blue-based attack, and I think that's so cool. Stands out. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like in the manga and this and this anime, mostly she provides cover, right? She does Aqua Mist, which allows, like, it's more intellectual. It's this kind of, like, passive thing, but it, it's helpful to everyone else. It keeps other people from, you know, it keeps the enemy from being able to see, like, the other senshi. Whereas in the 90s anime, they gave her Bubble Spray or Bubble Blast in the dub. And that's a much more, like, sort of attackish power, which I thought was interesting. Offensive. Um, she has... Yeah, it's more offensive versus defensive. So I thought that was interesting that to remember that she mostly plays that sort of like strategic role. She's a strategic person, right? She has her cool also computer and and goggles, which I always thought was very fun. And eventually her we'll Google add Glass. some her Google Glass, her Snapchat goggles. Eventually, <laughs> oh my God, did, wait, what? They what made, is a Snapchat? Oh, they made glasses. They had Snapchat glasses at one point and. Then suddenly they disappeared off the market. So who do you want to bet owns that now? Hmm. I didn't even know that that existed. Oh, it was like for a whole summer. They were like, I don't know how much money they were. Somewhere between 100 to stupid dollars. And all of a sudden they disappeared and I've never heard about them again. So I just know that's got to be used somewhere else. Huh. I had no idea. Yeah. Government probably bought that shit. Anyways. I like what you've pulled out about her attacks being uh, usually defensive and support for the group and then getting this newer offensive attack, especially as she progresses through the season coming out of her shell a little bit. And her specific episode, I really like that it's an exploration of how the educational systems exploit their students, right? That even when you're a smart student, the system doesn't necessarily actually care. They spit you out all the same. And I know that academics can be really intense in Japan as well. But oh, yeah. I, I am only speaking from American experience, but I do know it can be a little intense, I hear. And it really stood out on this go because it really, something Sailor Moon's doing a great job in Crystal of is still defining these major themes, right? Because that's what Sailor Moon's actually fighting. The villains just are a symbol for the injustice as a whole. Right, the bad guy in the crazy outfit being put on by one of the knights is symbolization of the problem. Right, it's just a physical personification of the issues that the girls are facing, 
And I thought that was so great with Ami's episode. Yeah, and they do, I think, a great job of that throughout a lot of the characters. And I, I really like that analysis of what's going on in her in her story. She tries to keep a good balance. It's not her fault that she's a genius. <laughs> she, like, studies, but she's also, like, she could probably be fine if she didn't study, too. Let's be real. Yeah. All right. So next we have Sailor Mars, a.k.a. Hino Rei. Oh my god, I love her so much. <laughs> I love Sailor Mars. And so her name, her last name has to do with like fire and then also like the meaning of the word like field and civilian. So she's like fire of Ray. The no is like a it's sort of a pun. Yes, yeah, she's on a straight career path of wanting to be a priestess and she's got some she's got some animal friends. She's got companion crows, particularly in two special ones, Phobos and Deimos. Which are interestingly named for the moons of Mars, who which are named for the companions of the god Ares slash Mars, Panic and Terror. Yes, and I would just like to point out as your friendly local Aries, it is Aries season if you're listening to this episode. Different Aries. They are. Uh, I will say that it is Aries season as you're listening to this happy me season. Oh. My fate one also of my favorite birthday. Oh, thanks, that too, you know? but whatever. You know, that happens every year. Mm, but, like, literally. I know you say too much, but when this is coming out, very yeah, close to yeah, Very close. I'll count it. I'll, I'm willing to count it. Greet your local Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Wish your local Chloe a happy birthday. Yeah, because this was one of my, I mean, okay, so when you're a kid, you have to have, like, you love Sailor Moon, obviously. Like, duh, Sailor Moon's your favorite. You love Sailor Moon and everything about her, Slay Girl, but... You also have to have a favorite inner senshi, right? You have to be like, that's me. That's me because I'm not Sailor Moon because I don't have bright blonde hair down to my ankles that I can put in these buns, you know, but one of them is me and that was my me. Sailor Mars was like the one that I was like, and if you follow our podcast, you'll appreciate long, dark, raven hair, purple eyes. Of course, she's my favorite. She was my fave. You know, I loved everything to do with bringing up the religion and I will talk more about that in the future with her family dynamic, I'm sure, with her grandfather and her mother and father. But I just kind of liked the the solemnness about her character. I like a lot of the ritual that came in her being a shrine priestess or wanting to be a shrine priestess, which apparently does come from Naoko being a shrine priestess at one point in her life, which, Eliana, what is the real word for this? Can you give me your expertise? I guess it's a meek. It's a Miko, and you can tell yeah. because, like, Ray wears that, but also, where did she fit this into her life path? You know, I feel like she's had such an accomplished life. She's, well, but that's how you write great shit. That's true. Right? Like, you that's live true. life. So she's lived life, and putting that into her characters, it's great. I think that's great. Can you tell me about her beautiful attacks? Because they are, I love it. As much as I just said I love the blue of Ami, the red of Ray is just, ah, oh, the fiery wonderfulness. It truly is Aries season. I also, sorry, quick aside, I wanted to say, I was thinking about also Ray's transformation and Ami's and all, all of the century, right? And I think it's very fun that they kept a lot of similar elements. You know, it could be seen as lazy, but I think it's cool that they kept a lot of similar elements for the transformation sequence from the original. Those were like so iconic and, and, and I think people really associate them with these characters. So love that. And yeah, Rey in particular has a lot of powers. We know that she's got a lot of like sort of the psychic thing going on. She's got very heightened spiritual senses and 
part of it is because she's a priestess, but also because of her role as a sailor guardian. And in particular, she has, she uses a lot this evil spirit begone, which you'll hear is like Akurio Taisan, which I'm pronouncing terribly. I'm not Japanese. Different sides on World War II. And another attack that she has is kind of like this. It was like Mars Fire Blast in the original anime of the dub, but she's got, I think, Fire Soul a little too, where mm -hmm. she has like her fingers together. I think that's here also in the first one, but she doesn't use that as much. She more of kind of like throws the flame and does that evil spirit be gone attack. They're fun though. They're fun attacks. I'm into it. I, uh, it's like an exorcism, I, but with fire. Yeah, and I appreciate, you know, I kind of, I've watched it both ways. I, I've watched the dub and the sub because I think it's important to kind of hear some of the differences oh, in tone. Crystal? Yeah, for Crystal, yes. Oh, cool. I've yeah. never watched the dub of it. Uh, I like, the dub's not bad. I'm fine with the dub. It's still good. You know, I'm, sometimes I can't do something where I'm committing to watching the subtitles, but I need yeah. them to be there just in case. But the subtitles are very different. So what they're actually saying is not anything like the subtitles because different phrases, different colloquialisms, you know, different things don't translate perfectly. So it's always a very fun time to watch the dub and they'll be saying things and you're reading the subtitles and you're like, that is not what you're saying. You are saying what you're saying in Japanese. I see. Yeah. Or even like in the subs, like I remember there's this moment where Sailor Moon awakens inside of Metalia and she's like, the sub says... Where am I? But she says, Mina, which I'm enough of a weeb to know means everyone because she was awoken by like her friends. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's very off in some places. I, I did notice that on the subtitles. I'm just like, why was that your choice? And I think sometimes, you know, it's hard to localize, you know, for mm -hmm. subs and dubs. And I assume that there's a good choice for a lot of these things. But I'm just curious, you know, like, why is this the choice that you made to to help bring this to this audience but anyway that's a whole uh, other episode that actually is and yeah i i didn't watch the dubs for crystal <laughs> hey that's it that's, that's all fine. i have to say for you but dubs are way better nowadays than they used to be so i wouldn't mind i just you know have my preferences but they put a lot more effort into dubs than you know back in my day as we were talking about <laughs> no i they really do though i totally agree uh this dub is definitely more palatable than those dubs, and I will leave it at that. The, uh, the voice acting's not bad. It's, it's decent. I liked how they've written Rey to be less confrontational than in the original anime. They also have omitted a love triangle that kind of pops up in the first season of the anime, where she is kind of going after Endymion, kind of going after Mr. Mask, and... I'm like, I'm really glad they just got rid of that plot because I don't think it would have worked in this set, in this season. It just like was not there ever before. <laughs> and that it's was a strange. Needed. It was like lobbied on the part of someone who I guess is working on the show to make Ray's character like that in the 90s. And um, that's something that I love that they don't do in in Crystal. They keep her as much more of like this very serious but elegant girl. They lose a little of her comedy. I think she's a little bit haughty and like critical of Usagi. Like, yeah, this is because you. She'll she'll like say like it's because you always fall asleep during these things or whatever. She challenges her like, a little bit. Yeah, she's she's much more you know I guess old fashioned and stuff and it's kind of like why aren't you doing this thing? But but she is still very you know serious, beautiful, elegant. Yeah, she's very traditional. And and she gets along well with kids, right? Which is cool that we really get to see that aspect of her. 
Yeah, now and next season. Can't wait. Ah, and they all have a close relationship with Usagi, and I like Sailor Mars. I, you were talking about, you know, the ones you identified with, and my partner asked me, who's your favorite? And then turns out that was actually a fruitless exercise. Because you love I all ended of them. Up- I ended up like going through like this journey and then he was like, you practically named all of them. I was like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was useless, wasn't it? Well, and another one that I felt close to was probably Jupiter growing up. I really liked her. Uh, I liked both of the, the kind of tough girl attitudes coming from them, right? They both kind of, I mean, cause Sailor Mars kind of challenged her and in the original anime, it was almost positioned like she was the general, right? Like. If Sailor Moon fell, if Venus fell, Mars would have to lead the group through battle on a war field. And that's how she took her job. She was very much marching orders and a little more aggressive, which comes from being an Aries. You know, I totally get that. Same girl. But, you know, it's a little more aggressive of an approach than V had in some ways. So Jupiter also had a lot of kind of that leadership strength, very confident. And I loved that in her as well. So Kino Makoto, whose first name can be translated to like trust or sincerity, and then Kino uses like the kanji of Kino, uh, which then becomes wood or tree. So her name is like tree of trust. Yeah, I, I strongly identified with her too. I was kind of like more tomboyish, would get into fights yeah. every now and then as a child. Yeah, you and, were. And, and scuffles, but also, you know, I've got interests of being a food, baking. Flowers are cool. Makoto's uh, dream is to get married and to be a florist and baker. It's so weird because you wouldn't guess that from looking at her. No one does. Yeah, and that's why I love, you know, she's so loyal to Usagi because Usagi saw through that. The character of Jupiter and the way her character is styled, she's super tall. So maybe you identified with that, Chloe. Yes. And draws on a lot of these tropes of like, in some manga, I used to see it like translated as Yankee, which makes no fucking sense. These like sort of women delinquent, these girl delinquent characters in Japanese media, which is signified by her having like this long skirt, which during that time, like these like girl gangsters in Japan would do to as like a rejection of the popular mini skirts of the time. And sometimes you'd see them in the manga stylized with like holding, I don't know, a wooden sword because people would have kendo practice. It was cute. She basically should just be wearing like a leather jacket, you know, and show up at your doorstep and be like, want to bake? Yeah, like, that's what much. I imagine. With, yeah. With her perfume and like then her, her floral earrings. earrings. Mood. Yeah. I, again, and I love that. I, I actually think that's an interesting trope to draw on and that she is kind of breaking the norms for what is acceptable for her gender at that time. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And she has this very feminine dream. Yeah, but she's all tough around the edges, like a brownie that's kind of hard on the edges, but soft in the center. I love that. I bet she makes some amazing brownies. I want some brownies from her right now. She has some cool attacks. Flower Hurricane. It's very beautiful. Beautiful flowers, petals streaking across the screen. Very romantic. Coming back to that very soft, dreamy romanticism in her. And then she has Supreme Thunder which is huge crashing thunder. And then in the dub, Jupiter Thunder Crash. And then in reprinting Crystal, not in the original anime, there is Jupiter Thunderbolt. It's hard not to just yell them. You know, I'm about to go off for Jupiter Thunderbolt. They're very fun. I love that she has the very soft feminine rose petals and then just the crashes of thunder and lightning all around. That is fun. Very fun. Yeah, and I think, so with 
With Mercury and Mars, you can't see it as much. Their elements... There's nothing about Mercury that has to do with fucking water other than maybe like the element is liquid, right? But that has nothing to do with the god Hermes or the god Mercury, right? Mm -hmm. Mars, the god of Mars has to do with warfare, but not necessarily fire. You can like kind of like draw those together. But uh, with Jupiter, that's where some of those connections and inspiration from Greco-Roman mythology really come through, right? I mean, Zeus, Jupiter, the, the thunder and lightning, that's like pretty, I think, straightforward for most people. And the flowers come in partially because of Makoto's personality, but also because of the association with Zeus with like laurel trees and stuff. That's great. There's just such an incredible duality to her. With all of that in mind, that she's presented so tough with a fighting streak and incredibly strong and crashing thunder down everywhere, but she loves things painted as traditionally feminine, like cooking, baking, flowers, marriage. I yeah. think that stuck out to me as a kid, you know, as being like, you can do both. Both of these things can coexist. Both of these ideas can coexist. And even in the 90s anime, it was a strong trait, set of traits that you could pick out in her. Like, this isn't new. They retained it well, her crystal, and even in her attacks, like the petals versus the thunderbolt, I just like that she could do both. Yeah. Not a lot of the scouts have a lot of diversity in their attacks. Mars is, you know, are a little, they're occult-based or fire-based, and Mercury is usually rushing water in one way or another, and Sailor Moon has her great big theatrics, which she's supposed to have, but this sticks out. Yeah, she has all that, and plus she can also fight. You know, she can actually literally fight as well. Boom, she's, boom. As you said, she's strong and she's soft at the same time. And that's something that Usagi, like, sees. And that's why uh, she was so touched by it. And also when they first meet, she's like, oh, I'm going to call you Mako-chan. Which is very forward. That's part of the thing. Like, Usagi's very forward. In the manga, they called her, like, they're like, you're such a flirt. Which is, isn't, isn't. It has to do with, like, those cultural differences of calling people by their first name ever at all mm -hmm. in Japan. Usually you'll refer to people by their like last name and then that she shortens it and then adds like the, the honorific chan, which makes it like much more kind of like cutesy and intimate. So Mako-chan. Well, we've arrived. We've arrived to the star of the show, Sailor V. Yeah, she's the princess. She's the princess, right? The cheerleader. Save the world. <laughs> I know Minako, whose name means beautiful child for the Minako, because child means uh, the ko is like a suffix often added to feminine names in Japan, like child or little. Um, and then I know coming from like love, I meaning love. And I mean, she's, she's, it's the planet of love. And <laughs> her dream is to be an actress. I'm not going to spoil whether she achieves her dream, whether any of these girls achieve their dreams, but do know, it's likely. It could happen. Yeah, honestly, it could. And <laughs> as you probably surmise, based on the Sailor V stuff, she did go by the name Sailor V, and actually she got her manga first. She got a run of a series before Sailor Moon. They did run side by side for a bit. Um, hers was called Codename Sailor V. Sailor Moon started about five months afterwards, and that manga focused on her fighting with the Dark Agency, but was much more kind of, I think, Monster of the Day-ish. Her attacks are, how do I say it, fucking iconic, right? I mean, there's nothing more iconic mm. than Sailor V's attacks. In this series, she has Crescent Beam, 
Venus Love Me Chain, uh, a fan favorite. I am the fan in this situation. Crescent, Crescent Boomerang, which is including in codename Sailor V. This was an old attack that has lasted time. And Rolling Heart Vibration. Yeah. And the chain, I think you can really see that Wonder Woman influence there again. Yes, the lasso of truth, the chain of love. Yeah, and then the crescent, all this crescent stuff and beam has to do with, you know, her connections with Sailor Moon, especially being that sort of like pseudo princess. But I think I kind of wonder if part of their rationale behind that was like, this is Venus and it's a twin planet to Earth in mm -hmm. real life. I mean, they're not really, it's full of noxious gases, but similar size. I believe for Venus and also looks blue, but the blue is not water. It is poisonous gas. Uh, and among her powers, she technically also usually the sword that we see in the series, usually it's associated with her and she has it mild spoiler. She doesn't really use it much after the season. Same as the pet bummer. Yeah. There, there are a lot of things that fall right off the wagon, huh? Out. I love that she uses the sword though. That, that differentiates her. Right, that shows that she's just a little different, and she is a little mercenary. Her style, she was on her own yeah. all this time. Her and Artemis, and we'll talk a little bit more about their relationship in a few, but her and Artemis definitely have a very different relationship and dynamic than Luna and Usagi have, which is obvious because they have had a shorter relationship. But you can see that they have seen some shit. They've been on the streets, they've already been dealing with some of these villains where a lot of the other girls are fresh and new to this, and everything is overwhelmingly new, where they're the veterans of the story. They've already been out there. And in the manga especially, she kind of gets painted as being the warrior maker of the girls, right? Like, she's the one that pushes them in a lot of ways to be the soldiers, be these soldiers for the moon, training them. And in this series, I think they kept her a little serious, which I thought was important because sometimes her attitude does kind of reflect that this isn't a game and we shouldn't be treating this like a game, especially in the beginning of the series in the manga and in the anime. And then I do think they did a great job too because I feel like in the original anime there's some weird tension between her and Sailor Moon that there should be a little tension, right, of the dynamics of the group and finding out where everyone fits, but there was a little weird tension when Sailor Moon kind of changes over into the leader. And I didn't feel that tension in this series. I think they did a great job writing them and they weren't really pitting them against one another or anything. It was quick in the beginning when they first met and then they all assimilated into the group. Yeah, and I think it's because like she was in on the whole plot, right? Mm -hmm. Of I'm pretending to be... I will say, I, not, I don't want to give too much away, but I do love what they did with Sailor Venus's character in the live action. Mm -hmm. She's a great character in there. She's kind of battle-worn, you know, by this point. She's serious. She's like, we got a fucking job and stuff to do right now. There's serious things at stake. I think later on, she becomes a lot more silly. She is, I think, the most like Usagi in personality. There's a lot of fun gags of them doing silly stuff together. Because they are really close friends, and you know she's the leader of the group. That's why she has a cool, different pen. In the manga, she's actually the one who stabs Queen Beryl through with the with the sword. And I don't know. There are some scenes that I do wish they had adapted. Like they they do her like holding the sword up for them, giving up their their life force in crystal. But I like I don't know, there's this like beautiful cross scene of it. 
Anyways. Mm. Yeah, and her powers also, they're, they are a little more obviously inspired by Venus slash Aphrodite with the love theme going on. Yeah, I think the, uh, the Aphrodite stuff's really fun. Making her the, the goddess of love. It took me a while to understand growing up, like, that connection with her and Sailor Moon, because I was like, I don't understand why she has these different powers also with the Crescent. Like, I was like, I don't get what's going on here. I do like, too, that she has that representation when it comes to Artemis, too, being by her side and being of the hunt, because she kind of has that wilderness feel to her. And then, of course, another character that will come along in relation that we won't talk about yet. Spoilers! But I, I think you also feel those vibes with her, with Artemis. Yes. Artemis, as you said, named for Goddess of the Hunt, which, male cat, but they play with gender a lot in this series. And I love that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about our Romeo slash Juliet, depending on the moment. Wherefore Mamaru. art thou, Mamaru? Chiba Mamaru. Tuxedo mask. Worthless. But we let him stay <gasps> in the show. Yeah, I guess he's, like, hot or something. You gotta have eye candy around, I guess. Like, more than the girls, because they're also young and beautiful. His name means to, like, protect, and his surname, I guess, is supposed to kind of play in a little with the, the some of the kanji for the Japanese for Earth. Yes, because his domain is Earth, right, as we come to understand. He was the, the prince of all that Earth is. He doesn't really have any cool powers, uh, other than showing up on time and... Sometimes. Being a cheerleader in, in this arc. And he's a high schooler about two years older than Usagi. Uh, again, way better than the original anime where for reasons I cannot explain. I like literally, it is still baffling to me. They aged him up to be college age and kept Usagi the same age. Things were different back then. Everyone. Different times. <sighs> very strange. Very strange. Removing all the fluff of the OG anime doesn't have a lot of a lot to do in this series he he gets brainwashed twice in season one <laughs> it's kind of incredible yeah. kind of incredible uh but I, <laughs> I do love the focus i'm like a plus tuxedo mask i like the focus we got on him in Earth's struggle though i think that was painted well in taking out the filler this plot kind of became really concise and it shows that rebellion and that star-crossed lover going on between him and Usagi and why things fell apart last time. What happened? He's lost his memories, both of his human self and is trying to regain the memories of his past self. I don't know if I ever like get an answer about like him remembering his, the time of his life before he was six years old, to be honest. And, you know, he's this brooding figure. Very Byronic. And- yeah, and I do like, I don't know, I'm a fan of the little antagonistic teasing that they have at the beginning between him and Usagi and how that grows into this beautiful thing. He remembers the times that he's tuxedo common, though, in these, and doesn't, like, suddenly transform into them. Doesn't use the rose as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lack of rose. Or at all. He punched a guy, <laughs> which I thought was fun. I thought that was a hilarious moment. And, yeah, so he's named Endymion in his past life, right? Lover of Princess Serenity, and that is also pulling from Greco-Roman mythology. Endymion was, like, a shepherd in Greek mythology who was a lover of the goddess Selene of the moon. Yes. Bunny. a shit ton of kids. Well, 
just hold out in in, in greek mythology <laughs> yeah i find the entire i like that they tell us pretty much you know what like two-thirds of the way into the season you do get the reveal of their backstory right you get an understanding of why and what's happening you're able to fill in some of the blanks it isn't uh, a cliffhanger at the end of the season i really appreciate the pacing and timing of that and i like that we know ish what happened before the big conflict happens at the end and before all the deaths and the possessions and all that we actually start to get that information I just think the timing of how they put it in this season was really well done. Yeah. Well, you know what I did not like? When possessed Mamoru, aka Mamochan, throws Luna across the room. Th that was a brutal, okay, that was a brutal animation. You can see like her little cat blood and I was like, this is terrible. Yeah, it actually is getting me upset now. I really hated it. Was it was upsetting. It was upsetting and I got a little teary eyed. I can't stand... <laughs> I can't watch that because I love my cats and I just think about my cats. It, it made me so sad. That's how I knew I was like, you're not our endemian. Something's wrong. I actually knew more already, but that really sunk it home. I knew because I watched yeah. the episode. But but yeah, uh, and I like, I love, so let's talk about the cats now. I love when right before that scene, right? And this is something that was inserted in the anime for Crystal, you know, Luna giving herself a little pep talk of like, I'm Usagi's partner and I might not always be there for her, and but I can do this thing. I'm not going to let her, you know, be defeated. And then she goes and she she does what her little cat self can. She gives it her all, literally her all. She gives it all nine lives. We won't talk a lot about some of the other movies from the previous lives, like the S movie, which is way more indicative of Luna and Usagi's relationship, right? And a lot of their relationship and how they've grown. And we talked a bit about how Mina and Artemis, you know, they aren't, they're, they're different. They have a different dynamic. They're partners in crime. Well, in justice. They're partners in justice, right? Where Luna and Usagi have not had this time to get to know one another better. And Luna can get a little frustrated with Usagi. Everyone does. I get it. And impatient in season one, where Artemis and Mina are already acting as a team. So watching this relationship change and unfold over the seasons and this moment, right, where Luna decides to pelt herself in front to save Usagi, that is, I mean, that that's a huge moment like that shows like, especially for Sailor Moon in all those moments where Usagi needs that faith behind her as she uses her ultimate moon power of all time to save everyone. Luna in the original anime was a little like excessively maternal and was always kind of nagging Usagi and some of it was for comedic effect right yeah uh, a lot of it was supposed to be comedic but that's changed a lot in this series and she regards her as you know hopefully they can be a partnership and she's very serious very dedicated to the cause where Usagi obviously doesn't know the scope of it and Luna does yeah, it's kind of, and I think part of, like, why she felt maternal, I don't know if it has to do with, like, her dub voice, too, was, like, mm -hmm. this very strange direction they took on that dub voice, whereas I just like L Luna way more with her cute cat voice, because <laughs> that makes sense, and, yeah, they grow into partners later on, and I just love that, you know, she's very protective of Usagi, right? Like, she, she questions things, questions Usagi's judgment, but she just doesn't want her to, like, get hurt. 
by Tuxedo Common when she doesn't know and then she feels guilty. She's like, oh no, I made her fight against the man she loves. This was a mistake. And then, as you said, she's in the cause, she's ride or die, and I like that she's also kind of trying to figure things out at the same time too. Her memories haven't all been unlocked as well. So that gives her some, like, depth. Yeah, and she's dutiful it, overall, right? She's very focused and dutiful, which comes into conflict with Usagi having such a big heart all the time and Usagi being, you know, so full of love to give. And Luna kind of sees a different path that she thinks Usagi should be taking in certain times where Usagi does not want to take that path. And I think that conflict could be played a little differently in another version of the story, like in the original 90s anime, but here I think it's really well done and they're they're closer to being partners at the end of the season than they were at the front, and they're closer to that really good working relationship that Artemis and Venus have. Yeah, they and how she also goes, she's like, take me to the moon, I'm gonna do what I can to help in this fight. And and she goes and she like prays to the crystal, which is part of her way of giving her energy and like doing things there. Also, she's very smart. You know, she this cat is I don't know if you've ever seen that Twitter account, Cats with Jobs. You'll see a lot of cats at keyboards. Luna. Luna Luna's a cat with a job. Luna is like move over IT person. Luna's coming for your job. She's really good at computers. She's so good. All right. We've covered our inner senshi, and now it's time to cover the exact inverse. Their counterparts in the dark the kingdom. The negaverse. The negaverse. As they were called in the dub. <laughs> yeah, they were. Oh, I forgot. There's a lot of weird. Was, there's a lot of weirdness coming up name. there. It's a fun name. So, a little history on the dark kingdom. It was, of course, the downfall of the silver millennium. After defeat, it was sealed away until being reawakened by a reincarnated queen barrel and the Dark Kingdom sets up a base in a cavern at D-Point in the North Pole. Reincarnations of Endymion's trusted knights come and are turned into her commanders. Instead, she, you know, corrupts them as her own commanders. They collect energy to awaken Metallia while searching for the Silver Crystal, and eventually, Tuxedo Mask falls under their control, acting as their agent, trying to get the Silver Crystal from Sailor Moon, after Metallia absorbs the Silver Crystal into herself. She gets huge and starts to expand around the planet until being permanently destroyed by Sailor Moon, ending the Dark Kingdom forever. Yeah, there's uh, the whole, you know, thing in the thing in her Metalia's head. But yeah, Queen Beryl serves as our sort of main antagonist for the most part until you get, you know, second boss fight. But I love that almost literally no one remembered her. She's like, are you sure you don't remember me? And everyone's like, uh, no. <laughs> Big, she doesn't even go here vibes. And they eventually do remember her, but it's still just like, wait, her? <laughs> then it transitions into her. And yeah, I think, you know, Queen Beryl has some motivation of like ambition, but I kind of wonder, it feels like her big thing is she's a little finger ass bitch. That's a good point. In some aspects, I do think there's a little depth to her. And I don't know. I mean, in the manga, she has kind of a more tragic backstory, right? It's a little longer drawn out. Not to say that makes me say you should love her and call her mommy. And not that I already do. But she was in love with Endymion. And she kind of trades in her free will to Metalia and is like, go ahead, use me as long as I can gain his love with whatever you do. 
So Metallia just wants to destroy the Moon Kingdom. And there are some things in the anime that still show up, and this is probably the biggest version that we're going to ever get, obviously, in the anime, and bigger than what we got in the 90s anime. So I think that's great that at least we got some of the backstory, but I, I, I think the backstory could have had some, I don't know, some more stage time there. Maybe another flashback, just one more. I think that was my big problem as we were talking about those last few episodes. Like, there's stuff... They just, like, hewed it a little too closely to the manga, and it, this should have been fleshed up more. I think we could have just, like, done a little more with the pacing, right? And kind of given some things more weight. Like, for mm -hmm. example, this backstory and reveal felt a little rushed. She was in love with Endymion and always kind of waiting for him. But part of it is she, she did have ambition and power, right? She... She's the one who first saw Metalia and, like, kind of helped unseal her in exchange for power and then does it again the second time around, too. This time around. It was like, let's come back. Come back to her. Just like Sailor Moon Crystal's a comeback to her. Wait. Ah. Wait. Ah. Don't go on Ticketmaster. I have to think about that a little, a little too deeply. <laughs> what else are knights for, you know? Oh, my God. But yeah. evil. By Moonlight, Queen Metallia is obviously the bigger villain in many sorts, right? Because she's using Beryl and kind of exploiting her love for Endymion, her unrequited love, in order to take over, you know, the whole world. She just wants the planet and all the energy and to take it over. I'm gonna be real, I don't really understand what any of them would, like, do with this. Like, she takes over the planet, and then everyone dies, and she's like, it's mine now! And I'm like, but, like, what are you gonna really do with it? Like, it's boring now. But maybe that's just, like, that's ideal for her? I don't know. Maybe she just, you know, has had enough of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess she just wants to take all that energy. I'm just confused sometimes with, with these motivations, but it's, it's a child's, it's a child's story doesn't have to be that deep. I'm just like, what, what are you going to do with the, the planet of all the dead people? Anyway, she's located in the North Pole. First, the manga explains this a little more, but like she actually enters, is able to get into the solar system and Earth through a strange activity from like father's son. The sun's activity actually affects the vulnerability of some things, like planets throughout the yeah. series. And then they they cut this backstory, right, of how she entered during, like, that meteor shower, and then Beryl discovers it, and then is offered great power. In both the original anime and, and the manga, they describe her being located at this place called Point D, or D-Point. I don't really think that was that important, so I'm fine with Crystal. I think that makes sense that Crystal cut it. They were just like, she's in the North Pole, and I'm like, absolutely, she's in the North Pole. We gotta go there and defeat her. And she's just like this big amorphous cloud of of sucking evil and energy. She's very versatile in her power, too, if you think about it. She does a lot of things. I kind of appreciate that she used to also not even really be a person, was mostly just like an entity of like yeah. a big abyss that was swallowing everything. So I kind of look at it like that, right? Like the abyss needs to swallow more. Metalia <laughs> needs to swallow more. Like Kirby, she, but like evil. But she swallowed everything. So what more? Yeah, then she can't get more. It, it's it's like how... That's what I don't get. It's like how society, they can't really totally enslave us, right? They need us to have oh a God. little bit of life so that we keep coming back. She didn't really get that message. Yeah. Because then you'll have so, no one making your things. 
Right. And then and then she turned like it just seems boring, you know? And then she turned the whole moon into stone, which is very interesting. But she she's very powerful, was not mm-hmm. sealed away entirely by, you know, a whole queen. A whole queen serenity. Yeah. Something that I would have loved to have a little more of, especially I, I, something that the anime did originally in the 90s, too. While, yes, they cut all those episodes down and it made it really concise. The one nice thing about that meandering villain of the week style was that it gave time to some of these villains to simmer. Right. And yes, it could yeah, get a little old, but you had uh, of the Four kings, right? Like you had Jadeite taking over a handful of episodes where he was the villain or the mini villain commanding the villain of the episode. And so those several episodes gave you time to understand him and his personal desires and his wants. And you got to see a little more Beryl and Metalia behind the scenes interaction. And you would build through each of these characters with that. So with that in mind, it did let you expand a lot of the Dark Kingdom characters. And I did feel that was lacking and like they were really shoved to the very end of the season. Yeah, I agree. And at at least you do see, I guess, Metalia throughout the whole thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because you see Beryl praying to her all the time and offering her these like little energy poultry things. But as you said, I do, I like her as this void, but it, it does help give weight to the, to the enemy to have a little more time. And as you said, flesh out the other, the other enemy, give them a little more screen time, you know, make sure those, everyone's getting paid, those voice actors are getting paid what they're worth and shit. Yeah, and that is expensive, I get that, but they should pay them more. For me. Honestly, animators do not get paid a lot. They should also pay them more, for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, actually though, and yeah, they did some like interesting different stuff. I do want to go into it, but I won't, uh, with the 90s anime with the, the Four Kings yeah. of Heaven. They, like, gave them some really intense plot lines. Some of them were dating one another, and they even that thus changed the sex of some of them for the U.S. dub because they were like, whoa, 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 no, no, no gay stuff. But Yeah, there was some great gay stuff, and there was also, like, they had personality traits each. Yeah! And these did not. Yeah. These four kings of heaven, so we're talking about Jadeite, Nephrite, Zoisite, and Kunzite. They did not really have personalities in this iteration, I felt like, in Crystal. I was disappointed. They yeah, they didn't even have, like, I don't know, dynamics. I think, like, the only one who really felt like he had a personality trait was Kunzite. Kunzite. he's the leader. Yep. And the sexiest, because he has that <laughs> v-neck. <laughs> the v-neck does something for me. Like, alright, I see you, you Sephiroth-ass bitch. But... <laughs> Also, this is a thing I did not know until rereading the manga because it's not in either of the anime. Maybe it is in the original one and I don't remember it. But they have a region that they're associated with. Like, Nephrite is the commander of North America, Jadeite of the Far East, Soicite Europe. I don't know what that leaves Kunsite with. Um, maybe South America is my assumption, but I don't actually know. But anyway. I don't I don't remember that. Yeah, I think that might be newer. However, because I remember what was it I I remember Jadeite was so distinct, right? Jadeite was so fun cuz he was like the master of disguise. Yeah. Right? He was always doing crazy master of disguise things. I don't remember them having regions though, so that's new. 
I think it's just the manga because it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. So I think it's fine that was not included. Is it maybe what they were being promised also as a reward? Like, if we take over this world, you will have this? I think it's like kind of the... So in A Song of Ice and Fire, there are these wardens, right? <laughs> I think it's like how there's a warden of the north, warden of the east, etc. But this was in the before times. Mm -hmm. They would protect those different regions. Of the That's earth, That's my yeah. assumption. So... Hmm. Yeah, they they had fun shenanigans when you have the monster of the day type thing. But yeah, Jedi and Nephrite, those are actually similar stones. Uh, mm -hmm. They're sometimes used interchangeably for Jade. Soicite is, I think, a fun name for Tanzanite. I forgot wow. about Kunzite. Other than, yeah. you know, he's sexy. Wow, you really know your minerals. Uh, you know who apparently really knows his minerals? I could not get over that 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 fucking line. What him because getting Mamoru, his rocks off? Yeah, <laughs> that's what he did though. In that moment, he's like recites all the names, and I was like, so weird and awkward. And I understand why they had him do that, but I was like, that was not smooth, dude. Yeah, you are so possessed, dude. <laughs> not smooth. I love that the knights are the inverse of the scouts, right? Like, that's so great. But also, they're tuxedo masks, senshi, basically. And big King Arthur energy, too. It kind of reminds me of King Arthur with his knights mm. of the round table. I love that they got to stick around for the whole season, though. That is a change, right? Because they usually die before the final boss fights. So yes. it gave the senshi something to battle. It gave them something to do. I would have liked them to have been around for several episodes to give villain speeches and distinct personalities because, uh, I mean, that said, they don't get fleshed out. They, nothing more than the reveal of who they are, which is a little, it's fine, but it's just a blip. It, it's like a quick scene and it's weirdly timed yeah. and I, I felt disconnected from it. I just would have liked to see a little bit more. There's no reason to actually care about them still being there. So it gave the girls something to do, but did it? I don't know. So that was actually... I I don't mind the reveal. I think that's actually the first time it's ever been explicitly stated that mm -hmm. these the, the Sailor Guardians and the Four Kings of Heaven had, like, relationships in the previous version. Or, like, at least that they were in love. Whether they were in relationships or not is unknown uh it's something that's kind of inferenced based on those hints and this like art that naoko like made sorry we're on a first name basis i know that's like probably very very bad to say takeuchi <laughs> made um of like the pairings and that's something that people have pieced together slash i guess that she's confirmed but i didn't love the way it was revealed and then the way that reveal was used after they were suddenly like eliminated and killed and then you have a moment that i'm gonna come back to game of thrones now what's her name carsey suddenly not being able to do anything yeah. against like the little children zombies and then like how the sailor senshi were just oh no they're gone and then like are suddenly paralyzed and unable to do anything until they're like reminded they have a mission i was like that was kind of that was kind of weak that was a little weak yeah, especially because they could have driven it a little more emotionally. 
you know, like they could have had them breaking in battle against them real quick first. And like, I don't know, they could have really centered it way differently. It was it was a little off. So. Yeah, I don't think this is the most explicit, I think, that they that that relationship gets flushed out, maybe in Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. I forgot. I will say I'm going to come back to that final battle now. They, as you pointed out, die even before like they get to those final mm-hmm. battles and and are defeated. And then you just have the Sailor Guardians and Sailor Moon trying to make their way to to Queen Beryl slash Metalia because Beryl stays alive for this. And then they send like these different monsters and then the Senshi all die one by one. It's actually very emotional. They all die one by one trying to get the team over the end, trying to get Sailor Moon all the way there to the end point. And like, you see it happen and each one has like this little like farewell sequence, but they're dead. They're like literally dead. They are also literally dead in this one. Yeah, I mean they're they're fucking gone. Absolutely they're gone. Dead. Yeah. It's uh there there is a little bit of a reveal still in Jadeite and Mars have kind of a relationship that's spoken about. I wonder if uh it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. And I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna spoil this we never come back to this either. Never. Never. They don't matter. You know, Takeuchi has noted that Jadeite's the serious one, Nephrite's the emotional one, Zoyasite is kind of the manipulative one, duh, and Kunzite is the quiet storm, and I would have loved to see that. Uh, Kunzite, like you said, definitely had a personality, but that was it. The hot one. (laughs) The hot one. The hot hot one. (laughs) Yeah. I I appreciate that they come back and give Endymion some encouragement at the end they're like we wanted to protect you one last time that's nice i hope and i hope you're and they're like i hope you finally find happiness with your loved one in this life ah or did you get to die again and do it all over again ah ah i mean no spoilers (laughs) (laughs) that end is so emotional as we kind of come to a close and talking about the end of season one of sailor moon crystal it's an emotional end. Everyone is broken and hurt. Not good. Bad. Things are bad. Very bad. Yeah. The whole world is frozen and everyone's dead. Through the power of the moon and love, Sailor Moon is able to save the day once more. Yeah, I like the way that they had her, you know, find out that she's the one who who has the power through the crystal, right? Maybe it was just, like, the subs at the bottom. I do. I think they do a good job and don't do a good job. Of showing that, you know, her friends and loved ones are really important to her having the strength to defeat Natalia. That's kind of something beautiful about Sailor Moon in totality and like what she means and what her friends mean to her. Because the montages that come up of Usagi like sticking up for her friends, defending them and supporting them and loving them unconditional are so sweet in this moment. Right, like they show flashes of each girl's friendship oh, yeah. and how it really formed with Usagi when they met in this life. And she's done that across another life already, and she'll do it again for them. I mean, she would go to the ends of the moon, the earth, anywhere for them, and just looking around at their broken bodies on the ground, like she pushes herself past her breaking point just to save them. Yeah, she li- she realizes that life, this world is worth saving. She has to fight to to save this world that they cared about. 
and why they cared about people. it. Right? Yeah. It's right there. He's right there. He was the reason that she saw this planet and decided it was beautiful and that it deserved saving. In the original anime, they're all not only are they all dead, he's fucking dead too, and she just has to do all this shit alone. alone. I will say I, I I do like that scene where she's fighting Beryl in the original, um, and then each one, their ghosts come up and help her. And mm. that was emotional and I definitely cried at eight years old watching that. But um yeah, this one they they have her son getting the energy from them, which is nice. They they sacrifice their life for one last hurrah, and then she does it. And then I, it's pretty. They do a fantastic job. I love that epic sequence of where she busts out the moonstick and like, ugh, it's it's great though. Like the when she finally is defeating and seal, sealing away Queen Natalia. Yeah, and I love the fake out because it's like such a worry. Like, what if? What if it doesn't work? Wait, what do you mean it's not working? And then. Finally, yeah, yeah it, it builds up the tension really well. And of course, I do have to say, I love the, the bits before that with Artemis and Luna going to the moon to get what they uh, need yes. to help save the day. That's so sweet. Her broken body and she just goes, Artemis, take me, take me to the chamber. I like that even after as the kingdom comes back to life and everything's beautiful and they all land and return back to Earth, things get a little levity just a little brightness comes back and then at the end of all this death and destruction <laughs> is a brand new life who is one of my favorite characters and i cannot wait to come back to it but at the end of death and destruction and to complete kind of the circle of the season right of where we started in episode one where a sailor scout is born a sailor scout becomes oh. and then we end it with chibi usagi we do we do she pops in and busts out a gun. It's just like such a weird jarring thing, right? You've got this series with like magic and literal monsters and then to have this like very, I think, real world weapon of a gun is just like this strange <laughs> disconnect that I don't know why. It just like has a comedy to it, I even though it shouldn't. I really highly suggest for those of you at home that are looking for further parts of this very ending uh, go on YouTube and type the real sugar baby, Chibiusa. Oh my god. And you will find the best rap of her while she's holding this gun, rapping that she is the real sugar baby. And I think it's really important you do this, all of you, because it is a, a classic. Chibiusagi is not here to make friends. She is here to get some shit done, as we're going to talk about next month with Chika. Chibi Usagi's on a mission, and you're going to find out what it is. I can't tell you. You got to watch it first. Yep. Yep. We can't tell you. We can't tell you. It's all and relative from here. Am I right? It sure is, Chloe. It sure is. Chloe is currently praying. <laughs> She's praying to the moon pillar now. <laughs> we see a hint of uh, Chloe's other form. Praying to that bunny. Of the goddess Selene. Oh or God. like if... If Luna has like that moment looking like human form, which is just in this version of the story, um, do we see your cat form when you pray to the, uh, the yes. crystal pillar? Yes. I turn into a cat. It's so much better. Yes. And I, sometimes I don't want to leave, so <laughs> don't want to leave that form. I get it, Luna. I get it, Artemis. I can't wait to get into their real origins with you all, actually, someday. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. Yeah. They came down to Earth and spun pods. Yeah. Well, that about ties us up, I think. 
right with Sailor Moon Crystal Season 1. Thank you for coming along the journey with us as we discuss kind of our origins and nostalgia for the series. And yeah, I'm excited to keep going. I'm excited to get into Chibiusa yeah. and some of the Outer Senshi. That, that is fun. I'm excited for Outer Senshi. Mm. I, oh man, me too. I feel like that's not a spoiler. I mean, you all must have assumed that there were other planets in the sailor in the solar system and therefore and therefore right other sailors oh man well you have this to look forward to yes yes thank you everyone for letting us you know wax about our nostalgic experiences with this obviously the preamble will be shorter in upcoming episodes because we've gotten all that history out of the way yeah so please do make sure if you are planning to return for Season 2 of Sailor Moon Crystal, which will be out at the end of April, look for it. Make sure that you are subscribed to us on a platform that you listen, whether it is Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Audible, Amazon Music, and more. Uh, make sure you hit that follow, hit that like, and you'll get the new episode when it comes out. Yeah, and something else that you can do to keep up with us and like any other... Any other Girls Gone Canon news, especially Sailor Moon, Magical Girls Gone Canon, is on our Twitter at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, and maybe you have thoughts. Maybe you want to share your childhood experiences watching Sailor Moon, waking up, watching it every afternoon, whatever. You can share them with us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. The last place you'll be able to find us at is our Patreon, where we do bonus episodes every single month for patrons in the Stranger tier and above. And not only that, but for our patrons in the Thunder tier and above, the 10 bucks and up tier, you'll get access to our private Discord server, where we chat about everything like Sailor Moon, Game of Thrones, you name it, all the fun stuff. And we also do events on this discord where you can hang out and voice chat and uh chat with fellow like-minded fans on the stuff you like so come on by patreon.com slash girls gone canon yeah it's succession season it is succession is nigh it is it is it's a very it's a very different show also very different story from sailor moon just begins with the letter s <laughs> and ends with the letter n do they have the same amount of letters? I'm going to have to think about that. But anyways, <laughs> we'll Thank see you all next month. Thanks for listening. I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. <sighs> Signing off. Moon, prism, goodbye. Moon, prism. Oh, we didn't even talk about the songs. We'll talk about the songs next time, everyone. Bangers. Just bangers all the way down. Bangers. Yeah, I I really love the background music in this. Mm -hmm. All right, mm -hmm. goodbye. Mm -hmm. Goodbye.